<clears throat> I mean, these are pretty bad times. Hardly anyone will argue that there's a lot of challenges. Um, but, you know, it felt really bad during the plague of the Middle Ages when three-quarters of the population died for, for seemingly no reason, just dropped dead all around you. That must have felt like the total end times. <clears throat> and, you know, three-quarters of the population died, but in major cities, it was more like 90% because that's where disease spread more quickly. Can you imagine if 9 out of 10 people died in some big city and nobody knew why? And it just all happened over the course of a few months? It would really be bad. But we got through that in ways that nobody could possibly have predicted at the time. If we're going to get through this, and I don't know that we will, it will not be because we figure out how to do it. It'll be because something happens that's bigger than our car. You know, if we could figure out how to do this, we would have figured it out already. It's going to take more than that. I used to. I used to work teaching and then directing a small group home for troubled teens. And I did that for about six years. Um, and at some point, you know, I would start to see kids come in. They're, there, they're in our program for some months. They get better. They go home. They come back. They go home. They come back. They go home. They go to jail. Right, because they can only keep coming back to your teenage delinquent home for so long before they're not teens anymore. Um, and I started to realize that the solution to the pro the problem was bigger than what you were going to be able to solve in that framework, because the the problems that we face are systemic in the most profound ways imaginable. You know, in other words, they're the way the world is inevitably results to the kinds of problems we see. So unless we change the way the world is, it doesn't matter how hard we try to solve the problems in the world, they won't ultimately lead to a result. So ultimately, I believe that the solution will be a leap in consciousness. And, you know, obviously, I'm not the only one who would think such things. Um, and so the work that we do to evolve our own consciousness might be the best thing we can do for the world. I mean, I've had those arguments about, you know, they really don't go anywhere. <laughs> There's two ways you can have that argument. You can argue with someone that already agrees with you, then it's kind of fun. But usually it just becomes, a, it, it, if you notice, it ends up becoming kind of a gripe session, a, a big complaining session against the world. Or you have that argument with someone that disagrees with you, and that's no fun at all. And the amazing thing is, I have a friend who is a very lovely person, very intelligent, and an avid supporter of Donald Trump. So she and I disagree on a number of things. But the amazing thing is I love to talk to her because she has very good reasons for, ha for coming to the completely opposite conclusion than what I've come to. So it's fascinating to see. It's all a matter of which facts you look at. Because if you look at these facts, you can make a very logical 
path to a conclusion, to conclusion A. If you look at a different set of facts, you can make a very logical uh, path to conclusion B. And there's no way she and I are ever going to actually agree because we're not really living in the same world. She's living in a world where she has these concerns, and I'm living in a world where I have these concerns. These concerns lead to one conclusion, and these concerns lead to another. And I mean, I've has spoken with her for hours. We never really argue, because we, we like each other, so we kind of have fun. But we just never agree, either. It just, it's impossible to agree. We can only come to an agreement that we don't agree. And, and we can see why we don't agree, because I think A, B, and C are important, and she thinks G, H, and F are important. And, and that's just a, a deeper, you know, that's more an emotional conviction or a choice. So it'll be interesting <clears throat> as these days progress how your thoughts around the light at the end of the tunnel may or may not change. Because sometimes I look and it looks very bleak, and other times I look and I think, could happen any day now. Who knows when, when something miraculous is going to happen. You always have to go to the next level of the question. Right? So the question is, your question is, how can you be okay with something that's negatively impacting you? It's actually negatively impacting you. So then I would want to go to the next level, which is to ask the question of, um, do you think it's possible to avoid being negatively impacted by things? <clears throat> if you do, then there's always going to be a struggle to try to get to the place where you're not negatively impacted anymore. But if you accept the fact that negative impact is part of human existence, then you can be OK with the fact that some things impact you negatively. right? And then it's, you know, there's just no one that I know, no one that I know, no one that I ever know has ever lived any length of time without being negatively impacted by something. right? And I'm sure no one in this room ever has either. And I can probably guarantee you that you will never go any particularly long stretch of time without being negatively impacted by something at some point. <clears throat> so since that's the case and it's unavoidable, uh, the best strategy is just to be OK with that. You know, It's like there's a great saying about something about the wisdom to know, to be able to discern between the things you can change and the things you can't change. The wisdom to know the difference. So the, the domain of work that we're going to be uh, paying attention to is only going to be indirectly addressing those kinds of questions. It is my personal belief that it is the ultimate solution to questions of that type and all others. But it doesn't address them directly uh, because it's the work is happening at a, at a different dimension of being than, than the one that we tend to be on, that we tend to be working on. See, this is what's, what gives you tremendous hope about everything is when you recognize that, that all of our experience, the good and the bad and the indifferent, is the tiniest slice of a vast reality, most of which we have no conception of it all. So as grim as things can look, 
in the slice of reality that we see, we really have no idea how quickly and how much things could change based on the fact that it's such a small part of a bigger whole. So this retreat is about spiritual abundance. Spiritual abundance means recognizing that you already have everything. So when you recognize that you already have everything, this whole levels of question and issue and problem that it's not that they go away exactly, but they, they are seen in a completely different light. You may still have to have the conversations you're having, right? But there's so much space to your being that you can do it. You can do whatever you, whatever you need to do. You know, I guess the thing that I would want to convey is just my own conviction about how radically things can shift for any of us. You know, and this is when we get, when we find ourselves getting challenged by life, it's at least in part because we either have never experienced or we've lost sight of how radically things can shift. You know, so much more profoundly than what we are, you know, than what we're taught, than what we're trained to see. And I know it can sound like wishful thinking or magical thinking. Unfortunately, magic happens to be true. <laughs> That's the, the big problem is there is, you know, magic, I think it was Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction writer, who said magic is the word we give for things we don't understand how they work. You know, so just anything we don't understand how it works, we call it magic, and we dismiss it. Because somehow we've concluded that only the things that we know how they work matter, which I think is probably the opposite stance we should take. <laughs> the, ones, the things we know, if we know how it works, OK, that's great. But it's much more interesting to think about the things we don't know how it works, but they happen anyway. Because those are the, that's the domain that we can expand into. So we'll go slow. And take a journey through our habits of mind, our habits of emotional attachment, our habits of identity, particularly. And we'll get a better understanding of how they keep us embroiled in a very particular experience of reality, which because it's the only experience we've ever had, and because it's the only experience that most everybody has, we assume it's the only one you can have. Right? This is how it all works. Uh, and then we'll be doing, we'll be doing meditation practice. You know, and meditation practice, to me, it's all kinds of different things that are meditation practice, and most of them are good, as far as I know. Most of the ones I've tried are good, but they're all different, and they, they are aimed at different outcomes. 
The particular practice that I'll be sharing with you, which I'm sure most of you have some familiarity with, is a very time-honored practice, has different forms and different traditions. In Tibetan Buddhism, there's a version sometimes called Mahamudra, or the, the high posture, the great posture. Sometimes I've heard it called open awareness. Ramana Maharshi in the Hindu tradition spoke about it as, as who am I, usually, uh, or self-realization. But essentially, it's simply a practice of being, full stop, as they say. It's just there is no other practice. Now, of course, you're being anyway all the time. So you're doing the practice right now perfectly. You've been doing it since the day you were born. You will do it till the day you die. There's actually pretty much nothing else you can do. And surprise, surprise, you will continue to do it after you're dead. <laughs> nothing's going to change except the body part. You know, you're going to keep on going. But the fact that you're doing it all the time is not that helpful if you don't realize it. It gets much more helpful when you recognize being all the time. So we'll be doing a lot of practice. And then we'll be doing a lot of inquiry and going back and forth, all in an effort to create the space inside you for a miracle. Right? A miracle is, is another word for something we don't understand how it happened. Right? So these things happen miraculously. It's just a shift. It's just, it can be subtle, it can be dramatic, but it's always exciting because it's, it's something, it's like you're going down the road and then all of a sudden, something happened and you're going down a different road. Uh, and that can, as I said, it can be a small thing or it can be a large thing. It can have massive ramifications in your life or none at all. All depends. So if you, if you come to a retreat like this, I'm assuming it's because you have some interest in something that you could call spiritual awakening. You know, awakening is... We all have the experience of awakening every morning. So far, right? We, you're asleep, and then you wake up. And what generally happens is something penetrates your sleeping world from the outside and startles you to, to wakefulness, right? Like it could be the light coming through the window or the sound of a bird or an alarm clock. Some sounds are more pleasant to wake up to than others. But something from the outside world, from the larger world, penetrates your sleep state and wakes you up, right? And so when we speak about spiritual awakening, we're talking about the same thing. Something from the larger world penetrates and wakes you up. So when you come to a retreat like that, that's what you're hoping for, is some kind of divine penetration, so to speak. You're hoping that something from the wider world is going to tap you enough 
to wake you up. The challenge with that kind of metaphor, everyone's heard it, of course, is that when we hear it, we tend to think that we're the one that's going to wake up. The problem is, we're the dream that something else is going to wake up from. You see, this is why it gets so tricky, because we're all trying to wake up, right? Our spiritual life and our spiritual awakening practice tends to be aimed toward us waking up. But we are not the one that's going to wake up. That's, that's what makes it tricky. This is why, when we really talk about awakening, why it gets so challenged. This is not any kind of personal transformation that we're talking about. This is not uh, personal development. This is not something that's going to happen to you. It's not something that's going to make you different, make you better. This is going to be the realization that you were never that person you thought you were. You say, oh my god, how could I have thought I was only that? That was never who I was. So the reason why you're here is because something wants to wake up. So sometimes when I'm sitting in front of the room, I feel like I'm talking to 22 individuals, you know, and talking about spiritual practice uh, and awakening. And, and other times I realize I'm not actually talking to anybody in this room. I'm talking to, to some being beyond everyone in the room that wants to wake up. And it wakes up through individuals, but it is not the individuals waking up. So the whole spiritual path is not about us waking up. It's about us getting out of the way and letting something else happen that's much bigger than us. We're going to talk a lot about spiritual practice over the next few days. And a lot of it's going to be useful. But ultimately, there's only one spiritual practice, and that is surrender. It just means you give up, and you let go, and you stop caring about what's going to happen next. Because to whatever degree that you still have a stake in the outcome, you haven't let go of the wheel yet. Right? So this is all about letting go of control and letting, letting go of the steering wheel and letting something happen that you couldn't possibly orchestrate in your you know, most enlightened, awakened state. And so that's what we're going to try to do in our meditation. So we're going to endeavor to surrender. When Rumi was asked, how do you meditate? He said, close your eyes and surrender. Which is more or less what we'll be practicing, just surrender. And then we see how difficult surrender is, because we see how invested we are in particular outcome. You know, I will surrender if. I will surrender if it feels good. I will surrender if I get what I want. I will surrender if it heads in a direction I can recognize. If, 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 if. They're all different ways of putting limitation on what's possible. Spiritual freedom means freedom from any particular control. 
And on the one hand, we all want that, and on the other hand, we don't. You know, that's kind of how it works. So what I really want you to do while you're here is just leave everything else behind. Forget about every other part of your life as if you just landed on the planet today. Imagine you're a walk-in. You don't even know who this person is who owns this body you happen to have walked into today. You have no connection to their past or their aspirations for the future. You know, you just let it all go and be completely present for the next four or five days. Just completely here with whatever we're doing, moment by moment by moment. You know, it's very hard for us to do that. You know, because we, we have all been conditioned with deep habits of trying to control the outcome of everything, right? This is kind of our main occupation is we're trying to control the outcome of life. And we learned how to do it, and we probably have had mixed success because, unfortunately, life doesn't tend to bend well to our control. But we've probably had some success. We're all here, so we've probably been reasonably successful. And we probably haven't yet completely given up hope in the ability to control the outcome of this event called life. And on this retreat, I'm hoping to convince you to give up all hope that there's any possible way that you can control the outcome of this life and then just let it be what it wants to be. Let life live on its own terms instead of your terms, and then see what happens. I sometimes like to say it's like recognizing, it's like realizing that you have the most amazing cosmic GPS system already built in. But you didn't realize it, so you kept trying to drive and kept getting lost. You like coming to this retreat center, you know, you, lose, you miss the turn, you miss it again. You keep trying, trying, and working so hard. Then at some point, you take your hands off the wheel and realize the car actually already knew how to get here. This is the great thing about spiritual growth. Life already knows how to grow spiritually. It doesn't really need your help. We think it needs our help, you know. Seeds know how to grow into trees. Babies know how to grow into adults. You notice growth happens all around, works really well. Um, everything grows amazingly to fit the environment it happens to be in, and nobody has to help it. But somehow with our spiritual growth, we get all involved. You know, I'm going to make this happen, uh, and that's just not the way it works. So over the next few days, I'm going to ask you to leave everything behind especially any habits of trying to control the outcome. See, it's so hard for us. This is, you know, this is so deep. It's so unconscious. The ways in which we have ideas about you know, either what we want or what we think it should be. And then we're always angling toward them you know, in, in subtle ways. It's like, start going, uh, 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 no. 
We'll never leave life alone to live through us. We're always trying to live it ourselves. You know, we always are trying to be in control, but then who's actually in control? Who is that person who's trying to control your life? You know, what is living your life? It's a very good question to think about tonight. What is actually living your life? Because you know, if you ask most people, who's living your life? Probably they're going to say, I am. Who is that person? Who is I who lives your life? Where is that person? So yes, the whole weekend is going to be about letting go of control, giving up struggle, so that we give ourselves the chance to discover that we already have everything we need. It's already happening. This is the great, the, you know, the, the great moment of awakening is this the moment where you realize, oh my God, it was always already happening. It was already fine. All of my efforts, the last hurdle to really letting go is just your own pride because you spent so much time trying to make something happen that was already happening. And it's hard to admit, like, that was all kind of a waste of time. You know, like, I didn't really need to do all that because it was all already happening anyway. I was already alive. I was already being. It was already fine. Uh, but if you can get through it, then you just let that go, and you have the whole rest of creation to explore. If you want to have a big dramatic awakening, the most important thing is you have to be ready to let go of your life. That's the challenge. If you're not ready to let go of your life, you won't have a big dramatic awakening because there's no room for it. Right? It, doesn't, it can't be squeezed into your life necessarily. So the life has to be willing to change. If you want that kind of dramatic breakthrough, one of the things you have to realize is your mind is not your friend. It's not actually going to help you. It can, only, it can help you to a point, right? So a big dramatic breakthrough is like jumping off the cliff. The mind can help you get right up to the edge of the cliff, but it can't help you jump, right? So this is one of the problems. At some point, you have to give up on your intellect as a tool for awakening because it can, it can, it's really important for a while, but then at some point, something else has to happen. And it's not really something you can logic your way through. It's just it's something that you have to just allow to happen. It wants to happen anyway, but you have to allow it. So the idea is this is spiritual. So this is, we have to do something that's impossible. Because on the one hand, you have to give all of the attention and effort you can possibly muster for the next five days while we're here. Like... You know, Ramana Maharshi said, this is, the, this is a practice that takes all of your mind and all of your heart consistently every moment with nothing missing. You know, you can, they can't, this is not something you can do with like part of your energy. This is something that takes absolutely everything that you have. At the same time, all you're doing is nothing. So those two things don't tend to go together. So how can you make enormous amounts of effort to do nothing? But that's what that's what we'll be doing. So you somehow have to manage to muster up total intensity and complete relaxation at exactly the same moment. Right? Usually there's one or the other. Usually we're either totally intense or totally relaxed. But somehow we need to become totally intense and totally relaxed at exactly the same time. 
That is the place where all the magic happens. Total intensity and total rec relaxation. You know, you've all heard of Tony Robbins, right? So he talks about massive action, that's it. So you need massive action on the one hand and complete rest, you know? So, and how do you do both? But see, that's the magic. That's where something really amazing happens because something starts to happen and it isn't you anymore. You're, the, the spiritual practice we're, we're shooting for is the one that you're not doing. It's the one that's being done from beyond. And that's the one that has all the power. 